and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and tonight we're going to talk about all things that just happened from Week 12 Sunday. I have watched every single game that has happened from the day, whether live or on NFL Game Pass. Condensed version, gotta love it. Efficiency, everybody, don't leave home without it. Want to go through some of the top notes from the day, focusing more on matchups, actionable fantasy football takeaways, uh, look ahead, you know, check out some of the injuries. I got some cool PFF Lily stats for each matchup and just kind of focus on, you know, just interesting findings from this or that. And also just beyond the box score notes, you know, better ball touchdowns, drops, uh, you know, plays that could have been made that maybe were nullified by a penalty, things along those lines that maybe didn't pick up if you weren't able to watch all the games. So thank you as always for tuning in and let's get after it, everybody. This was a fun day of football, in my humble opinion. First game, Browns defeated the Jaguars 27 to 25. So don't let one just horrendously awful interception, or excuse me, not interception, just a miss by Baker Mayfield overshadow what was, in my opinion, his second best game of the season. I mean, it was mocked on Twitter ruthlessly. Baker Mayfield stepped back to pass. Rashard Higgins ran a slant. There was a miscommunication. No one ever guarded him. Baker stared at him the entire time, and he just sailed it over his head. Kareem Hunt was open as well. I mean, it was a complete disaster for Baker Mayfield on that play. Otherwise, I thought Mayfield looked pretty damn great out there. I mean, it was, you know, one rope after another to Jarvis Landry. We saw Kaderil Hodge have a couple nice plays. It was mostly uh, Landry. I mean, eight catches, 143 yards, and a score. Don't forget, these last three weeks with the Cleveland Browns offense, I mean, they have just not had a chance to do anything through the air, more or less, because they've just had one windy, rainy afternoon in Cleveland after another. So going to sunshine in, you know, Jacksonville, Florida, we did see Baker Mayfield and company have a lot more success through the air. Now, I know what you're saying. Ian, they played the freaking Jaguars. They won by two. Quit, you know, going too crazy over Baker, Baker Mayfield. I get it. The Browns are 8-3. Baker has not been a big reason for that. I'm just saying, this was his second best game of the year. Don't be that guy that, you know, takes an entire game away from one pass that was, again, horrendous. Cannot overstate how bad that one pass was enough. Just realized Baker had a, quite a few uh, much better passes throughout the afternoon. Uh, Mike Glennon for Jacksonville. Uh, you know, someone that I've been, you know, really just going to town with on Twitter in terms of just making one draft meme after another, but went out there and actually played a pretty darn good game. Had, a, you know, a chance for a bigger performance. Hit Keelan Cole, you know, in a position to catch it, uh, 40 yards downfield into the end zone, but couldn't come down with it. A couple defenders around, but either way, you know, we saw an aggressiveness I think was lacking during some of his previous NFL stops. Ended up throwing a 46-yard touchdown to Colin Johnson. That was a dime. Another touchdown to Tyler Eifert. He did miss a few throws down the seam. He wasn't perfect. Again, we're talking about Mike Glennon here, but it was a good game by him. And look, we can say that these quarterbacks that aren't going to be top 10 quarterbacks probably forever can have a good week or two. We don't need to you know, compare everyone to your Patrick Mahomeses and to your Russell Wilsons of the world. We got 32 teams to talk about every single week. It's okay to stick up for them when they have a good game. Doesn't mean we need to change our you know overall career-long opinion. So Credit to Glennon and especially Baker Mayfield on some pretty solid performances. They at least, uh, you know, overcame some of the expectations for him. My only issue with the Jacksonville Jaguars in this game was that LaVisca Chenault wasn't more involved. Only had four targets, one rush attempt. Was making dudes miss as usual, but I was hoping that, you know, just another guy under center, no DJ Chark, no Chris Conley. Maybe they can get, you know, their exciting rookie a few more looks. Just wasn't meant to be. We'll check, keep an eye on that moving forward. James Robinson ended up being the star of the show per usual for the Jaguars. 97% snap rate, 22 carries for 128 yards and a touchdown that almost tied it. I mean, he really, he got some help from the O-line, but he was 
dragging dudes into the end zone from about uh, eight yards out or so. And then, uh, you know, they weren't able to get the two-point conversion. The Browns were able to pick up a first down when it mattered. So this really was a close game. But James RB1 son continues to dominate backfield usage. Things in Cleveland uh, grew a little bit between Chubb and Hunt. We actually saw Hunt lead the way in snaps over the past few weeks, uh, even with Chubb back in action. That changed in this one. Chubb 61% snaps. Kareem Hunt 42%. Uh, Chubb had 19 carries for 144 yards in a score. Hunt was efficient, too. I mean, 62 carries in his own right. Chubb ended up being the one getting the receptions, mostly of the screen variety. Look, Kareem Hunt is still their two-minute, you know, primary pass down back, but they're not afraid to give Chubb a screen or two, uh, you know, just because why not? Get your freaking big, talented beast in the open field. That's exactly what Nick Chubb is. And look, it wasn't the great, greatest performance from Kareem Hunt. I get it. Might be a situation where we we're a little bit overzealous calling them both consistent RB1s. And I just mean that in terms of top 12 in our weekly rankings. Kareem Hunt, it's going to be hard to rank 15 running backs ahead of him during any given week. So at worst, he's going to be an upside RB2 because we look at this Brown schedule from here on out, everybody. They're 8 and 8 and 3 right now. Wouldn't be shocked if they could even finish 12 and 4. If not, you know, 13 and 3. I know it's crazy. I know. But, you know, after this week, we got Tennessee, Baltimore, the Giants, the Jets, and they end with Pittsburgh. So depending on who could be resting start, who could have guys out because of COVID. I mean, Browns have a chance to end this season on a nice little run. Credit to them for, uh, you know, really having a nice post-hype uh, bounce-back season compared to, you know, what we were expecting from them in 2019. Uh, some quick beyond-the-box score notes. Harrison Bryant dropped a touchdown. That could have helped Baker Mayfield's day. And then uh, Nick Chubb scored on the next play. Higgins, yeah, had that better ball touchdown. Again, couldn't stress enough how bad Baker uh, missed him. Keelan Cole had the potential drop 40-yard score. And Eifert had a better ball touchdown down the scene that Glennon just sailed. PFF Lily matchup staff. For those that don't know, PFF Lily is my adorable 25-pound winner dog. I like to give one just kind of general takeaway stat of maybe something that piqued my interest watching the film and went back over and checked out the stats afterwards, and that is Baker Mayfield. Look, his best game of the year was against the Bengals in Week 7. He had 297 passing yards and five scores. Otherwise, this game was his best. 86.8 PFF passing grade. That was the second highest of the year. 258 yards was the second highest mark. 8.6 yards per attempt is highest mark against a non-Bengals defense. I get it. We're talking about the Bengals and Jaguars. This has not been a good season for Baker Mayfield, but we can give the guy props for one nice positive performance and miss a lot of trash throughout the year. Is he going to keep? Is he going to be a fancy viable quarterback moving forward? Heck no. I mean, he had to barely get to 29 pass attempts in this one, and it took a Jaguars defense to bring you know this high end efficiency out of him. Just realize this performance, and again, in a sea of disappointing ones, was solid for Baker Mayfield in this passing game. Next matchup I want to talk about was the Bills defeating the Chargers 27-17. to This was a game where both offenses were really able to move the ball throughout. We just didn't see, uh, you know, too much uh, importance placed on keep taking care of the ball. Obviously, that's kind of, you know, life with Josh Allen under center. We did get, you know, both some of the good and bad of the Josh Allen experience. I mean, look, I'm just happy he was uh, healthy out there because at one point, twisted uncomfortably down on the ground. I thought we might be losing our guy, Josh Allen, but came back in, even ran for a touchdown afterwards, <laughs> spin the ball uh, right in the defender's face so he's fine you know uh, both mentally and physically good to go there had a goal line touchdown to uh, Dawson Knox who's been back in action and yeah so you know he, he had an interception lost a fumble again Josh Allen experience was far from you know one of his early season world beating performances but we saw the same kind of stuff that makes him tick you know week to week I mean setting up the first uh, touchdown with just a bomb to Stephon Diggs in double coverage was it a great idea probably not but Josh Allen was willing to make that throw they picked up a long defensive pass interference uh, because of it 
it. I think just the reason he didn't have a huge fantasy game was more or less because he only threw the ball 24 times. So when you see Stephon Diggs only having, you know, seven catches of 39 yards, credit Gabriel Davis, you know, having uh, three catches, 79 yards in the score. But, you know, only Stephon Diggs had more than five targets on this Bills team. That was just a factor of them being able to run the ball against this pretty soft Chargers front seven and the Bills being able to play with a lead for most of the game. So wouldn't worry too much about, you know, guys like Cole Beasley uh, not having as many targets as usual. As long as John Brown remains out, we're going to see, you know, targets condense around Diggs and Beasley and to a lesser extent, Gabriel Davis more than ever. Quickly, though, I mean, if you had Davis and Beasley, I mean, that didn't really, uh, you, you weren't too disappointed because Beasley caught a swing pass that did not go forward. He then threw it into the end zone to an open Gabriel Davis for a touchdown. So you got that little perk uh, from those two guys. On the other side of the ball, Justin Herbert, 52 pass attempts, 316 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Had a nice score to Keenan Allen from inside the 10-yard line. Just a laser right where it needed to be. Bad interception to Tredavious White where he didn't diagnose his own coverage. I'm going to do a study this week on, you know, quarterbacks that have been performing best and worst. Uh, versus man and zone. Sometimes tough to get super clean numbers on that stuff, but I do wonder, you know, how often rookie quarterbacks do have more trouble or at least more or more turnover prone against some of these more tricky zone defenses. So more to come on that later, but it was just a lot of dunk downs from Justin Herbert. I mean, hey, our returning hero, Austin Eckler, 16 targets in this one. Also had Hunter Henry getting 10, Keenan Allen 10, and again, none of these were really downfield. Nobody other than Tyron Johnson had to catch over 15 yards for the Chargers in this one. So this is one of the top five offenses in terms of just total screens thrown this year coming into this game so you know the fact they weren't throwing downfield as often wasn't exactly too out of the norm but it's disappointing we know Herbert can throw that freaking thing anywhere I thought it was you know an up and down coaching performance really throughout the game from Anthony Lynn and by up and down I mean mostly down because this just was a matchup where with Joey Bosa dominating I mean throughout the game on the defensive line just really them having opportunities against the Bills uh, we just didn't really see enough in terms of I think trying to put your foot on the throat go give Justin Herbert some more chances to win the game so hey you know in fantasy land this was Justin Herbert going for over 300 yards again he's gone for over 300 yards and or scored three total touchdowns in every game this season you know we'll live with it he completed back-to-back Hail Marys uh, towards the end of the game on like their last drive it was like fourth and 14 guy catches it penalty fourth and 24 another chuck down towards the end zone guy touches guy catches it unfortunately they couldn't go get that cover for the uh, you know betting faithful and they got stopped inside the 10 yard line upon completing the second hail mary to get it around the goal line so disappointing ending from the chargers but again justin herbert's going to remain a top five or you know top six to top eight fantasy qb moving forward based on what he's shown us all throughout this young season for him uh bill's backfield Zach Moss led the way with 60% snaps, nine carries, two targets. Singletary wasn't too far behind at 40% though. And he actually had more carries with 11 and more targets as well with three. Both guys were efficient. You know, Singletary did lose a fumble at one point, but they went right back to him afterwards. So I don't think it's really a changing of the guard or anything like that. And yeah, this is the case in uh, Buffalo. And unfortunately with Josh Allen, you know, as he proved today, being, you know, more than willing to take off for the end zone himself near the goal line and just not being all that willing to consistently target his running backs. He's just not the most fancy friendly quarterback to you know have involvement with with his backfield Austin Eckler returned to 73% snaps, 14 carries, 14 targets. We talked about, or excuse me, 16 targets. We talked about this on the podcast uh, last week with, or a couple weeks ago with the Christian McCaffrey coming back story from uh, NFL Network's Ian Rapport. Look, a lot of great, uh, you know, breaking news from him. But, you know, sometimes we get these Sunday uh, morning stories like, you know, how Austin Eckler reportedly wasn't going to be treated as a bell cow back. Just don't let one Sunday morning report change, you know, everything you've heard and kind of form throughout the week. Hey, it's new information. We got to decipher that. 
that. But why would the Chargers bring Austin Eckler off IR if he wasn't ready, particularly in a game where Kalen Balaj wasn't even active because he was banged up as well? I mean, if you really thought that they were just going to go with Joshua Kelly and Troy Mayne Pope and keeping Eckler on the bench after they had already acted him off the IR, I don't know what to tell you. But regardless, we now know that moving forward, Eckler is fully healthy and is going to have his usual workhorse role. Cannot stress enough how fancy probably these 16 targets are. He caught 11 of them for 85 yards. He looked great out there. I mean, he should have had, not should have, but he nearly had a 10-yard score after catching it, having three guys in his way, somehow spun around him, reached the ball across the pylon. It seemed like, but they didn't review it. Next play, Joshua Kelly jumped on over the goal line. So could have been even bigger, but with this sort of receiving floor, Austin Eckler is going to be a legit top three, top four PPR running back on a weekly basis here moving forward. Um, beyond the box score notes, I think I touched on these already. The Eckler near touchdown, back-to-back Hail Marys, and just Joey Bosa having an overall awesome game. So that takes us to our PFF Lily matchup stat. So Justin Herbert this year is averaging 23.4 fantasy points per game. That's the second highest mark among any rookie QB ever, trailing only 2017 Deshaun Watson, who's at 24.1. So 20, 2011 Cam Newton was at 23.1, you know, just off Herbert. 2012 RG3, not too far behind at 21.2. No other rookie in NFL history to play even three games averaged over 20 fantasy points per game during their initial season. Absolutely tremendous performances week in and week out from Justin Herbert. And when he isn't that tremendous in real life, he's been just fine fantasy land, which at the end of the day is all we care about when we're trying to rack up these fantasy titles. Next matchup, we had the Patriots defeat the Cardinals 20-17. to uh, Yeah, you know, when your starting quarterback is seen mouthing to their offensive coordinator after the game that, you know, I, I believe Cam said to Josh McDaniels, he's sorry and just disappointed. You kind of know things didn't go exactly the way you want them to. But hey, a win is a win is a win. The Patriots were able to get one in a season that's just been filled with these, you know, crucial last second moments. So yeah, Cam Newton, just pretty horrendous throwing the ball. And by pretty horrendous, I mean absolutely horrendous. Nine for 18, 84 yards, pair of interceptions. Look, he got him down there when it counted, but even then, I mean, nine carries, 46 yards. When he picked up this big third and 11 going out of bounds, I mean, they gave him an extra 15 yards of unnecessary roughness when he got hit while he was still in bounds. So, you know, Cam's been one of those guys over the years where I feel like he's never gotten the same sort of respect with those sort of unnecessary roughness penalties on the sideline, you know, compared to someone like Brady or just a non, you know, any quarterback that didn't, you know, help, help revolutionize the position in terms of what they're able to do athletically and with their legs. So I'm not saying, you know, it's a black or white thing or anything like that. It's just a matter of Cam being so big and strong that when he gets hit late, he's not bouncing, you know, to the ground like some of these other fragile guys that are out there. So Cam, you know, it's a situation where, hey, this was a bad call, but I think you look back at across his career and he probably does deserve, you know, some positive aggression uh, at some point uh, with those types of calls. So no, this was not a good game through the air. And because of that, I mean, Jacoby Myers, five catches, 52 yards. But other than that, man, no one else had even over 35 yards. James White, someone that I was really, you know, hoping hoping to have a big game. Ended up getting there with the two uh, rushing touchdowns from inside the 10-yard line, but who am I kidding? That wasn't the reason I was, you know, touting him as a solid uh, DraftKings play over the past week. He only had one target in this one, so we've seen this in Patriots games. I was surprised they were able to play with a lead in this one, but when they do, uh, it's going to be tough to expect anything out of this passing game, so just like Damon Harris, you know, is a game script dependent running back, and we're only really looking for situations where they can play with the lead, and even then it's risky. That's kind of how we need to look at Cam Newton and everyone involved with this passing game as well. 
Kyler Murray, you know, didn't get much going as a runner for the second straight week. Five carries, 31 yards, no scores on the ground. Perfectly fine numbers for any normal quarterback. But as we've seen with Kyler Murray, the rushing, you know, upside he's shown this year has been absolutely ast astronomical uh, so far. So I haven't seen that over the past two weeks. I wouldn't worry too much just yet. But it is worth noting that so much of his rushing yardage comes on pure scramble. So teams start, you know, finding out a way how to defend him a little bit differently. I'm not saying they have. I'm just saying, you know, it would make sense that, you know, a quarterback scrambling rushing. Uh, yards to be a little bit more volatile than, you know, say, someone like Lamar Jackson, who, while they do get a lot of it scrambling, they are going to continue to get most of their rushing yardage on design runs. Look, Kyler is fine. He's still going to have one of the highest rushing floors in the league regardless. I'm just saying that could be the difference between him literally setting records for the most, you know, rushing yards and touchdowns at the quarterback uh, position versus him just being, you know, top two, top three in the 2020 season. But yeah, you know, only 170 yards, 34 pass attempts. Could have had a bigger day. I mean, Christian Kirk dropped an eight-yard touchdown. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson was down just short in his only reception. You know, DeAndre Hopkins dealing with Stephon Gilmore only had five catches for 55 yards. So was a performance that, you know, we could have seen I think if they ran it over again a couple times. Kyler, you know, has a better day. Kenan Drake had two goal line touchdowns. Again, we've seen those go to Kyler Murray all year long. Just wasn't quite his day from a fantasy land perspective. Looking at these backfields, yeah, Kenyon Drake starting to get more and more back into that old role he had a previous energy. And to Drake's credit, he only averaged 3.5 yards per carry in this one, but I just thought in terms of how he was looking with the ball, breaking tackles, it's almost like he's gotten a little bit better post-ankle injury. He's at least been running better the last few weeks. I mean, it doesn't make much sense, but neither has Kenyon Drake's overall 2020. 22 carries, only six for Chase Edmonds. Edmonds, you know, he still had six carries and five targets, but he's a distant flex play, people. I'm still getting a bunch of start-sick questions with Chase Edmonds in it every morning you know every every Sunday morning pretty much Kenyon Drake is the RB1 in Arizona it's going to be you know a lower end RB2 in fantasy land Chase Edmonds I mean he's a low ceiling I think RB4 at best as long as Drake remains sideline don't cut him he remains you know arguably the highest upside uh you know RB in fantasy I'd say other than Latavius Murray but you know as long as Kenyon Drake is active it's hard to go back to the well with Chase Edmonds with any level of confidence with the Patriots. So Sony Michelle was active in this one, only played 2% of the offensive snaps and did not receive a touch. So Damon Harris, 65% snaps, 14 carries, no targets. James White, 37% and mentioned those two uh, rushing touchdowns, had five carries and one target. So James White, you know, we certainly can't expect him to begin these goal line scores in future weeks. So, you know, it's going to be Cam or Damian more times than not, but at least we have a two RB backfield in New England. I mean, for years, it's been three, four, who knows, maybe there's even a game of five or something. So it's still going to be a lower ceiling than in another offense just because Cam Newton is so prone to getting these rushing touchdowns on his own and we're not seeing you know the same sort of target floor for James White as we did in past years uh, you know with Tom Brady under center but we continue to see these James White splits with and without Rex Burkhead at a minimum even if this game again it didn't you know the thesis behind the play uh, as, as some might like to say would be that we were hoping for the targets and I know that didn't come to fruition but uh, just realizing that there are now only two running backs to kind of split these this usage up instead of three or four we can get more lucky with uh, you know touches or fancy friendly touches going our way just because there's fewer backs overall to mess things up other notes from this matchup. So, yeah, wild sequence before the half. So, Cardinals have the ball at the eight-yard line with about, you know, 20 seconds left. Uh, they throw it to Christian Kirk. He drops an eight-yard touchdown. And then go to Keyshawn Johnson, who was initially ruled to be in the end zone. They call back and say he's down at the one-inch line. And then Kenyon Drake gets stuffed right as they go in the halftime. So, no points. And, again, Kyler definitely gave them more than enough chances to get there. And there was also a, a, a touchdown nullified by Gunnar Olszewski. I, I always mess up his name. Apologies. The Patriots, you know – 
uh, just special team punt returner. He had a nice punt return touchdown, and I just saw the most egregious blindside block ever. I mean, this guy was coming. It was not even a blindside block. He clearly saw him, and then this guy gets laid out, and then he pops up celebrating like that's something to be proud of. I mean, look, as someone that has been blindside blocked, you know, many times in my life, like when you get blindside blocked, you start having your head on a swivel. That's our freaking expression for it because once you get hit like that, you don't run around as aggressively when you don't have the fear of a blindside block. If anything, as we were kind of seeing out there, the defenders can run with like a more of a full head of steam and try to cause bigger collisions because they have no fear of an offensive lineman coming out and get them. So I understand why the league outlawed them because, you know, it, they certainly lead the kind of biggest highlight worthy blocks in the game. But I just think that when you look at it, it's really not encouraging uh, as much of a, you know, offensive firepower as I think they probably would hope the rule does because I think more than anything, the blindside block rule, it just kind of prevents, it prevents uh, defenders from having to think twice about, you know, running just as fast as possible towards the spot because you no longer have to worry about, you know, the p peripheral vision and guys coming out of nowhere. So that's just, you know, my little rant on it. I've never enjoyed that rule. It is what it is. Don't believe there are many um, or any key injuries in this one. Again, you know, this is all stuff that I just noticed during the game, looking at, you know, after as well, trying to find stuff on the old Twitter sphere and stuff like that. So make sure you tune in to the uh, Tuesday edition of this podcast, and I will be going over the Monday Night Football game as well as some waiver wire options and just injuries that we'll get, you know, a bit more news on uh, before we get on with the rest of the week. So PFF Lily matchup stat here. The Patriots have a league-high 16.1% screen pass rate this season. So last year, the 49ers were at that and the Cardinals were the only team higher so you know I was looking at some of these Patriots stats because I just felt like there wasn't much explosion they weren't that efficient you look at them throughout the league and they actually aren't that bad they're usually league average if not above average in a lot of these uh, you know different metrics but you know you guys have watched Cam Newton this offense they've looked so herky-jerky all year long I think this over-reliance on the screen pass is what's kind of caused that it's similar to kind of what We've seen in Indianapolis with Phillip Rivers this year where, hey, this team, like you wouldn't guess it, but the Colts have been a top five team in you know, explosive pass play rate and a lot of these you know, yards per attempt passing efficiency metrics this year. It's not sexy. It's not Patrick Mahomes, you know, rolling out and throwing the ball 40 yards downfield between two defenders. It's usually, you know, a veteran quarterback and a smart coaching staff just kind of creating things uh, to, to be had there. So, hey, situation where I understand this Patriots passing game looked awful in this one, but uh, I think because of, you know, the guys that got working on this game and ultimately the guy under center who will have better weeks moving forward, uh, not an offense that we can completely ignore, particularly in the passing game uh, in week 13 and on. Next matchup, we got the Dolphins defeating the Jets 20-3. to We'll try to uh, speed this one a little bit. Ryan Fitzpatrick was back in action, won his second revenge game against the Jets this season, ended up going for 257 yards and a pair of scores. Turnover-free football was super well and just lofted up to uh, Devontae Parker and Mike Desicki. Got a nice touchdown to Desicki where he mossed uh, some poor Jets defender. Parker went for eight catches, 119 yards on a team-high 14 targets. And yeah, that was pretty much it. Again, you know, this was the Jets, so just like Baker Mayfield, we don't need to crown him after that performance. And same thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I get it, but hey, this was a big step up from what Tua has been offering. And you know, they're talking about this thumb injury, maybe keeping him out longer. I'm, I, you know, I'm sure they would be playing Tua if he was healthy enough to do it. But just realize, you know, Brian Flores was talking about when he pulled Tua out in that Broncos game, it being performance based and not because of injury. Apparently, that wasn't you know the case. But you know, he said he needed to really hold him accountable. They're really holding him accountable. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been the better quarterback in Miami the entire season. Doesn't make sense to try to ride Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know hopefully best case you are competitive for one maybe maybe two rounds in the playoffs 
No, of course not. I think you find out what Tua is. You have the Houston Texans draft pick, and then from there, you can decide if you want to use that draft pick on a high-end quarterback next year and beyond when you're actually going to be in your competing years. But, you know, this is the world we live in, and we will, you know, continue to monitor it and see if we'll get the Fitz or Tua show moving forward. But, yeah, as long as Fitz is here, we can honestly rely on Parker and Jusicki far, far more than when Tua will get back under center. Uh, Sam Darnold, two interceptions, 197 yards on 27 pass attempts. Kind of typical Sam Darnold game where saw a couple nice passes to Perryman and Mims that kind of make you wonder what he could be like in a post-game system but overall you know just far too many mistakes uh, between the very few uh, you know highs mixed in between so you know going in this game Adam Gase said look out you'll see what this offense really looks like with our top three wide receivers now ha 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 not quite so much so credit to Sam Darnold though 12.8 yard average target depth that was the highest single game mark of his career so you know just Jamison Crowder I'm sure he wasn't happy about it only five targets three catches 31 yards at this point Crowder is probably droppable, I think. I mean, look, we've now had several games with each of Perryman, Mims, and Crowder active. You know, went from Flacco to Darnold. I thought that we would get back to seeing the Jameson Crowder underneath wasted slot target role, but no, that's not. He's apparently willing to throw deep to Perryman and Mims. That's better for this offense, even if they show up in this game. And I do think that, you know, while Perryman and Mims, look, they're going to be erratic as well moving forward. I do think, uh, you know, Crowder is no longer the centerpiece of this just god-awful Jets offense. Uh, looking at these backfields, Frank Gore, 57% snaps, 18 carries, three targets. I like to think that, you know, Gaze just has all these kind of like rush attempt metrics like oh Frank Gore you know games that Frank Gore has over 15 rushes his team is like you know 110 and uh, 11 or something like that and he just you know kind of walks up in the team post game he's like look guys I, I tried to give him the touches like I don't even know what to tell you well, we, we got there this was uh, you know 1 in 11 times won't happen again but that's my uh, end discussion on this Ty Johnson Josh Adams not involved just stay away from this backfield the most empty touches you can imagine for a fancy back in the league Miami situation was very crowded DeAndre Washington 47% snaps. Matt Breida, 34%. Patrick Laird, 15%. Miles Gaskin was seemingly close to getting back this week, so expect him to be back next week and have his usual three-down roll moving forward. He's going to be a top 24 back the rest of the season. Uh, Denzel Mims apparently suffered a lower body injury. I did not see it, but that is one to keep an eye on. If he is going to be out, that would make Brashad Perryman you know, more of an upside wide receiver three. Credit, credit to Perryman. He had a couple nice uh, catches this game. You know, one of, one of a few examples out there, Nelson Aguilar is another one where truly, uh, you know, these guys are not the same player you might remember from a couple years ago it's okay for NFL players particularly young ones to get better over time we gotta give them credit when they do so PFF the matchup stat is involving Devontae Parker so in Parker's career he's played with quite a few quarterbacks all under you know and quite a few under Adam Gase as well so I removed his rookie year because he had a bunch of games his rookie year just with zero targets and those would have kind of thrown off these splits but so Devontae Parker's fantasy points per game with like per quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick 15.1 fantasy points per game with Josh Rosen, 12.5, 10.7 with Tua, 10.7 with Jay Cutler, and then 8.1 or fewer with Ryan Tannehill, Matt Moore, and Brock Osweiler. Targets, you know, same thing. 8.4 with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Cutler actually got him 7.8 and 6.3 from Tua. So by far the most fed and the most efficient version of Devontae Parker has been with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center throughout his entire career. And while Tua, you know, he's not getting him up there, at least he's third in the targets right now. But again, you know, we saw Fitzpatrick Patrick go for 39 pass attempts in this game. They won by 17. Tua couldn't clear 30 in any of his starts. So it's a different offense when they go from Fitzpatrick to Tua. And because of that, Parker is not the same high caliber fancy asset that we've seen him be with Fitzpatrick under center more games than not. 
The Giants defeated the Bengals 19 to 17, and I would say the worst game of the day from start to finish. And you know, for some reason, I had this one on my big screen on 1 p.m. and it was a terrible tone to set the day. And I'm I'm still mad just thinking about it. But Daniel Jones, he was playing well. I mean, he had some nice downfield throws to Evan Ingram, potential 74-yard score to Darius Slayton. It was maybe a hair too long, but you know what? He hit him in his hands. I mean, Slayton was behind the defense. It was a catchable pass. Slayton could not come down with it. So if he gets that 74-yard touchdown on a bomb. Uh, we're obviously having a different conversation here. So he tried to stay in. You know, he suffered a hamstring injury, unfortunately. Tried to tough it out the next play. Couldn't move. Tried to come back in the next drive. Still couldn't do it. So, you know, credit to Daniel Jones for trying to tough it out. But he will be going through uh, this hamstring injury. So we'll see, you know, what he comes back to. But either way, I mean, if he's going to try to play through the pain, the big thing for Daniel Jones all season long has been his rushing upside. Obviously, that's going to be, you know, pretty much shot with this hamstring injury. So he's someone that, hey, you know, we've talked about PFF. Maybe this maybe Maybe, if not the single best quarterback in the NFC East throughout this year, has been Daniel Jones. Not a high bar, I understand it, but uh, you know, you take away that you take away his running ability, and that's going to be a major thorn in the side for his fantasy football manager. So he is this is a situation where I do not think he's someone you need to really hold on to moving forward because I am that concerned about what he will be as a fantasy asset without his legs. His passing game, though, I mean, hey, Evan Ingram, six catches, 129 yards, and nine targets, the best he's looked all year, and they were actually giving him some downfield opportunities. Imagine that, not using Evan Ingram like Jason Witten for more than, uh, and then trying to do more than just give him, you know, one jet sweep a game like seemingly Jason Garrett's other decision was uh, throughout this year. Sterling Shepard, seven catches, 64 yards, and eight targets, and Golden Tate had nine targets, four catches, 36 yards. So Slayton actually got goose egg, which I did not realize till right now. That is disappointing as hell, particularly considering uh, that long drop. I would just note uh, last thing, Colt McCoy came in after Daniel Jones. Jason Garrett on a regular second and 10 from like the 30 yard line with like five minutes left. I just want to make this clear. This was a neutral normal situation. Jason Garrett called a QB sweep for Colt McCoy. Unironically. I couldn't believe it. Um, anyway, moving on to the Cincinnati side of the ball. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odd, odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 
Bengals took, uh, so after the Giants scored with Wayne Gallman, uh, the Bengals took the kickoff back for a touchdown, and then Brandon Allen led them to a field goal when they got the ball, I think, at their own 45-yard line. Until the fourth quarter when the Giants finally got up multiple scores and you like physically saw their defense shift to more of a prevent scheme and start laying off, that was the only time we saw Brandon Allen lead this offense to any sort of consistent success, end up finding T. Higgins for a touchdown, and then miraculously, the Giants, they you know converted for a second to get this game ceiling first down comes back on a penalty they punt the ball i think it was alex erickson uh, checking yeah i think it was Al- yeah it was alex erickson 29 yard part return sets him up at the 50 yard line with a chance to all he needs is three points so you know 15 yards and you're talking about a potential victory for baron allen and company immediately strip sacked on the first place so you know we we're talking about it on the podcast throughout this week going into this one you know uh, just how this offensive line doesn't allow really anyone to succeed and even with joe burrow having that quick release time you know he was even under pressure more than most quarterbacks throughout this year you take someone like that out of the picture it's just gonna be atrocious for everybody else involved and the fact that you know Tyler Boyd had six targets Higgins had five Juice Sample had five AJ Green had three if Brandon Allen is one not gonna throw all that much and two not gonna focus on anybody we truly cannot trust anybody in this offense as a realistic fantasy asset here moving forward Looking at this backfield, Giovanni Bernard led the way, 76% snap rate, eight carries, three targets. Samaje Piran, 16%. Travion Williams, 11%. And moving in the right direction, I mean, Samaje Piran was actually, if you listen to our game by game breakdown podcast last week, uh, Piran was taking Gio off the field on some pass down situations, which made absolutely no sense. But you know, it's the Bengals, so who knows? At least uh, with P. Ryan uh, being out of the picture, we can you know start to think about Giovanni Bernard back in that kind of borderline RB two range. But again, like I just do not want to rank any of these wide receivers or running backs among the top twenty four guys at their position as long as the play under center is this bad. On the Giants side of the ball, Wayne Gallman twenty four carries, four targets, sixty three percent snap rate. Uh, Deion Lewis, you know, not nearly as involved, twenty eight percent snaps. Alfred Morris down there at ten percent. So Gallman looked good. I think he's been their best non Saquon back the entire season. Devon Dante Freeman, I believe, is eligible to, tr- to return next week off the injured reserve list. So if he comes back, I would see it being a little bit more of a committee. But I know Gallman is still someone that I think could be getting 15 carries uh, per game more weeks than not. I think he's earned it at this point. The coaching staff is starting to realize that. So, you know, not to tell him if they had three catches for negative three yards. It wasn't, you know, the most spectacular performance. But, you know, he's now found the end zone, I think, six times in the last five games. We were talking about a volume-induced RB2 here, everybody. Other notes, I mentioned the uh, Darius Slayton uh, 74-yard touchdown go off his hands, kick return touchdown for Bengals, and yeah, that final drive at the 50. I mean, truly, this was like just watching this, it was setting up as the perfect, like just hysterical loss for the Giants, and the fact the Bengals couldn't pull it off uh, just shows you how incompetent this team is right now without Joey Burrow under center. Uh, PFF only matchup stats, so Evan Ingram this year is averaging a career low 60.5 PFF receiving grade, and you know, I'm surprised his uh, 6.8-yard average target depth is actually in line with the past few years, but we're also seeing career low marks in yards per route run of 1.4 and 4.7 yards after the catch per reception. And I just, you know, people I think haven't realized like how good in the past Evan Ingram was. Going into this year, he was averaging the eighth most receiving yards per game among any tight end ever. He was averaging 52 receiving yards per game going this season. He has cleared that mark just three times in 2020. That's eight games with fewer receiving yards already in 2020. This is the first time he's had even more than five such games going back to his rookie year when he had eight. So we are now going to get the worst 
version of Evan Ingram yet in the year 2020, even though he's had his health incredibly disappointing. And look, it's not all on him, but some of it has to probably go on him as well. Uh, you know, again, mention that average target depth, but you know, anytime you got the clapper calling the plays, I will give you the benefit of the doubt more times than not. Next game, we got the Titans defeating the Colts 45-26. to Just got up on them early and never stopped. It was the Derrick Henry show. Three, not one, not two, three first-half touchdowns. As Lee Corso would say uh, back in the day on those NCAA football video games, most kids only dream of scoring three touchdowns in the game. This guy, he did in the first half. So, great game from Derrick Henry. One of them should have been a receiving uh, score. He had caught a swing pass uh, from Tannehill. I mean, it shouldn't have been a receiving score. It was initially ruled a receiving score. They corrected it to a lateral. So, when you see Tannehill stat line, you know, 221 yards and only one touchdown. Just realize you throw in that extra, you know, 20, 20 plus yard uh, score on that, things will be looking a little bit differently. It was a solid game from Tannehill. It's one of these games that we see him and Kirk Cousins have where low volume, but uh, plenty of efficiency to go along with that. So he did run in a touchdown and was able to hit uh, A.J. Brown for an electric 69 yard touchdown. You know, Tannehill didn't have to do much work on that one. Just hit A.G.B. on a slant. He just ran away from everybody. It's just wild to me that A.J. Brown Last week has arguably a touchdown of the year against the Ravens, just plowing through their entire defense. This week catches it, and he can run away from everybody, too. Uh, PFF's uh, Mike Renner had a good comment about A.J. Brown, just the fact that safeties consistently are messing up their, you know, just um, pursuit angle against him, and that someone that that, that big, to be A.J. Brown's size, you know, 6'2", 228, I believe he, uh, he weighs out at. I mean, you aren't supposed to move that fast, and safeties are continually caught by surprise with it, and that's why I think he is just a yak beast that we've seen throughout these years. But A.J. Brown was not done later in the game with the Colts uh, trying to come back, an onside kick. The kick was short, and A.J. Brown on just a dead sprint scooped this thing. Kicker, you know, tried to freaking get in his way, but come on, I don't think there's a defender in the league that can slow down A.J. Brown in the open field, let alone a kicker. So added a second score to his total. I heard some of you out there in the ESPN CBS leagues having him getting those six points. you got to complain about that. A touchdown is a touchdown is a touchdown, even if it comes on some onside kick return. So hopefully you get that fixed. Uh, Corey Davis only had three targets, but he caught all three of them for 70 yards. You know, a situation where... If you look at them overall throughout this year, the targets are very similar between AJB and Corey Davis and receptions and yards. Obviously, Brown's been scoring more touchdowns. He's a better wide receiver. But Ryan Tannehill, anyone's idea of a top 10, top 12 quarterback over the past two years, it makes sense he can have more than one fancy relevant wide receiver. Uh, with the Colts, Phillip Rivers, 295 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He was solid. I mean, you know, he threw an interception. He had a he had a sack in there. It wasn't a picture perfect performance from him, but no fumbles. I mean, they put up 26 points and we're kind of keeping pace at least for a little bit uh, in this game in the first half. But once we saw them really have to go in the pass first mode, it just seemed like they weren't able to kind of get enough respect out of this Titans defense to kind of pick up the big plays that, uh, you know, they would need in that situation. So, you know, hey, things look pretty when they're able to, you know, get the ball out to their running backs and the flag, you know, find some easy completions at tight ends. And we saw some of that. I mean, Trey Burton had 42 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Naeem Hines had some big plays as well. But, you know, other than T.Y. Hilton, a 50-yard catch down the field, which was nice. He had a, another nice touchdown on a well-run kind of stop and go from inside the 20. There just wasn't much consistent success to be had. Uh, Michael Pittman had a dud for fantasy managers. Nine targets, two catches, 28 yards. The nine targets surprised me, but look, everyone, this is just reality of the uh, Colts offense. I mean, T.Y. Hilton had 81 yards in this game. That's only the third time all season a Colts wide receiver has surpassed even 75 receiving yards. So Michael Pittman, he had his nice 14-yard catch early on on another unguarded crosser. But, you know, we talked about on the podcast last week and just the whole idea behind not really trusting him as anything more than, you know, a you know, kind of 
wide receiver four, low end wide receiver four going into the spot was just that we haven't seen anybody in this Colts offense produce consistently. So even if Pittman is the best fantasy option for the Colts, which I do think he is, I would pick Michael Pittman to lead this team in fantasy points among their wide receivers the rest of the way. I just don't think even that is enough to consistently fire him up as a top 36 option at the position. So Michael Pittman, you know, you see the physicalness and stuff from the rookie. I'm sure he'll have, uh, you know, a solid enough NFL career, but right now just have not seen enough from him in terms of really doing anything other than, you know, run with the ball after getting open on some crossers to think that he warrants, you know, consistent uh, fancy appeal just in matchups that aren't going to really force the Colts to put their foot on the gas. And again, even in one where he really had best case game script, uh, we just didn't see, you know, the sort of high end efficiency that we would want uh, to take a chance on someone in this sort of run first offense. Uh, with these backfields, Derrick Henry, 65% of snaps, 27 carries, had three targets as well. Good to see him getting more involved in the run game. Always trust the big dog as the weather gets cold. I mean, he was just a beast every single time in this one. Only had a long run of 31 yards. So look, I never like to take away a player's big plays. They earn those big plays. A lesser player wouldn't have made them. It's not fair to penalize their stats for that. But, you know, Derrick Henry usually is one of those guys where maybe you hold him in check until he busts a big one. Not really in this one. It was just one consistent gash after another. And that's why you saw the Titans just, you know, really controlling this game and build that 35 to 14 halftime lead. With the Colts only saw two RBs involved with Jonathan Taylor on the COVID list. Naeem Hines, 66% snap, 10 carries, 10 targets. Jordan Wilkins, 6 carries, 4 targets. So I think the carries would have been a little more evenly distributed if this wasn't such you know negative game script. Again, the Titans were up 21 points by halftime after all. But Hines, second straight week he's gotten the start. And, you know, Wilkins hasn't exactly impressed more so than Hines throughout the season as a pure rusher. So even if, Sky, even if Hines kind of fits that scat back mold, he's perfectly capable of running up the middle. And they've proven... Willing to do that with him really all season long. So looked electric in space at some points. I mean, eight catches, 66 yards. I know throughout the offseason, you know, people didn't want to call him, you know, new Austin Eckler and all that because it was too easy of a comparison. It's unfair to a talent like Austin Eckler, but that doesn't mean Naeem Hines isn't a solid enough in the you know, ball player himself. And we've seen those uh, touchdown celebrations he's had uh, throughout the year and those flips and all that. Truly an athletic freak when it comes down to, you know, certain things he is able to do out there on the football field. PFF Lily matchup stat. So, yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to Ryan Tannehill again because nobody this year has a higher rate of catchable passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield than the Titans at 62.5%. So, they've only thrown 24 of these, and that's the you know, third lowest mark in the league. But just realizing Ryan Tannehill, when you see that ball leave your television screen, there's a better chance than just about any quarterback that will end up in the general vicinity of his wide receiver. Next matchup, we had the Vikings defeat the Panthers 28-27. This was a back-and-forth one. The big, uh, you know, kind of takeaway, not the takeaway, just the wild moment from this game was in the third quarter, the Vikings, you know, had gone out there and they got a 10-7 halftime lead, feeling good enough about themselves. Kirk Cousins gets strip-sacked. Panthers take it back for a touchdown. Next play, they get, you know, Vikings get the ball back. They give the ball to Dalvin Cook. He runs up the middle, seemingly hurt his ankle really bad, but he came back and he's fine, don't worry. But he fumbled the ball during the midst of this and the Panthers brought that back for a touchdown. So a uh, 10-7 game turned to 21-10 just in the blink of an eye with two two uh, back-to-back fumbles returned for six. So because of that, Kirk Cousins had to kind of put his foot on the gas more and up throwing the ball 45 times, 307 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Justin Jefferson was a star. He's been a star all season, but particularly with Adam Thielen out, we expected him to do so. And yeah, I mean, team high, 13 targets, caught seven of them for 70 yards and two touchdowns. 
I was more surprised at what the other guys were able to do. We knew Kyle Rudolph with Irv Smith also sideline would be having a solid game, and he did seven catches, 68 yards. But Chad Beebe had seven catches for 63 yards in his score. BC Johnson had seven catches for 74 yards. I mean, Chad Beebe, shout out, son of Don Beebe, in case you hadn't ever listened to a Vikings broadcast before. But, you know, had that game winning touchdown, cool little double move. I'm not hating on the guy. He's a solid enough slot receiver. And hey, you know, if they're going to need to throw the ball, if Adam Thielen's going to miss, you know, an extended amount of time, they'll need BB and Johnson to continue stepping up. But hey, don't get carried away, everybody. Justin Jefferson is the wide receiver we can trust here in Fantasyland. Do not spend any amount of fab on BC or Chad BB. I'm sure they'll have, you know, fine enough games to move forward. But if there's one thing we learned in this Vikings offense, that volume is hard to come by. And we are not going to see too many more, if any, games with Cousins throwing the ball 45 times in 2020. On the Panther side of things, Teddy Bridgewater, 267 yards, touchdown, and a pick. This was not really a great game from him. I mean, we saw some good throws. He had one of the best throws of the year, I thought, on the last drive of the game, 35 yards down the middle to uh, Curtis Samuel with, you know, pressure coming in his face. Also hit Robbie Anderson for uh, – the touchdown was a joke. I mean, it was like a fire blitz, and they just ended up getting a defensive end matched up on Robbie. So the touchdown was like a crosser that he just ran to the end zone. But there was a, a deep, deeper ball over his shoulder after a nice double move that I think showed off a little bit more of Teddy's arm strength. So had, you know, a really nifty first down run. Again, he had flashes of excellence, but just was kind of too few far and in between. I hope he's okay because at the end of this game, he got them in a position to attempt a really long field goal, but I mean, he got hurt right before, and his like left arm was just dangling from the socket, and he couldn't even like really hold it up as he walked the sideline. So Panthers have a week 13 bye. We'll see what's what, but uh, you know, certainly not a good thing from there. Now, now sort of sad part of this, uh, you know, box score going over everybody. DJ Moore, better ball, 40-yard touchdown, overthrown, and then had a 10-yarder at the end that would have iced this game. And not only did Teddy Bridgewater miss DJ Moore, he might have missed them, forced DJ Moore to contour his body in such a way that he suffered some sort of scary non-contact injury. You know, fingers crossed, knocking on wood. It's not an ACL or anything like that. But, I mean, for that to be potentially a thing that ends DJ Moore's season, a potential touchdown that D Teddy missed him on, like, oh, my goodness. Uh, cannot have that. That's just, you know, nail in the coffin for a fantasy season. That wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. DJ Morris has some very big weeks, but just one where you see these flashes and, hey, he still had four catches for 61 yards, but again, had that potential 40-yarder earlier and then another 10-yarder later, usually when they throw the ball in DJ Moore's area, he is open, and then when he gets the ball, he's making guys miss. Uh, you know, fingers crossed that he'll be able to get back there in week 14 after they're buying. If not, uh, be healthy in 2021 and beyond because truly DJ Moore, one of the more fun guys in the league when things are clicking for him. Some of these backfield information, I would just mention too, uh, with all these, I, I've compiled these on a Sunday night. Not everything is official just yet. You can check out my uh, running back backfield every Wednesday, released on pff.com. It's even free if you're not an edge subscriber or anything like that. And I have all the official snap rates, uh, touches, you know, whether or not they've been. I break down every backfield. So if it's something that was a one-week blimp or, you know, more of a trend, I break it down there. But for now, I will work with what we have. So Dalvin Cook, only 63% snaps, 18 carries, four targets. But Madison only had two carries, just more of a situation where Ron Cook was sidelined and for a bit and when they were in comeback mode uh, just getting more receivers and tight ends on the field than a running back with the Panthers a little more concerning Mike Davis 58% snaps 15 carries four targets we saw Rodney Smith have seven carries and Trenton Cannon have three so they only have one target each it's still the Mike Davis show in terms of that but 
Carolina Panthers team, they're 4-8 right now. It just doesn't seem like they're quite as willing to give Mike Davis just this massive feature role uh, with that, you know, probably not being what he's going to be doing. Oh, it's obviously not going to be what he's doing once Christian McCaffrey is back in the lineup. So whatever the reason is, we are now not seeing Mike Davis get the same sort of featured uh, RB1 role. We'll take this usage any day of the week. I mean, 18 combined uh, carries and receptions, you know, even though he didn't find the end zone, uh, was still able to chip in about 79 total yards. So it wasn't the end of the day, but he is now, he's no longer has that RB1 usage we'd really hang our hat on, and he's going to be more in that, you know, RB15 to 18 zone, I think, here moving forward. Other notes here, yeah, mentioned those missed opportunities. DJ Moore also had the injury to DJ and Teddy. Again, hopefully they have uh, time to get right after that week 13 by uh, PFF Lilly matchup stat. Only two players this year have more than 50 total force missed tackles. Dalvin Cook at 55, Mike Davis at 54. So disappointing that, you know, they aren't giving them the RB1 role anymore because, again, Mike Davis truly been one of the more fun running backs to watch this year. Do running backs matter? Do they not matter? I don't know. But Mike Davis is someone that I do enjoy watching matter on my television screen next matchup we got here falcons massacred the raiders 43 to 6 oh man everybody this one hurts because you know we've been talking up Derek carr on this podcast all season long and i would just say that you know one just because Derek carr was awful in week 12 does not take away the nice things and the good things that he did in weeks one through 11 for the better part of the season but look there's no way to kind of justify this performance one interception not one not two but three lost fumbles i mean look there were chances downfield henry ruggs darren waller even hunter renfro had some you know passes Throwing at least 20 yards downfield that I think they, you know, if you th- if you run that play 10 times, they probably catch them, at least five of them. But, man, this was rough. The Raiders had scored at least 30 points in three straight games going going in. I mean, everyone, you know, on Twitter I saw just amidst this blowout was like, oh, you know, the Raiders, anytime anyone starts talking about them, they turn in this performance. And I get it, but truly, it wasn't like a one-week blimp that we were getting behind Derek Carr and company. It had been a prolonged change since week five, getting Henry Ruggs back in the lineup. And, again, we continue to see that downfield mentality. If anything, I think this was probably, you know, a road trip after a very emotional divisional game against the Chiefs that just went south. So nothing was really working out for them. They had, you know, scoring chances at different points, but ultimately couldn't put, push the ball across the goal line when it mattered. So, again, awful performance all around. I would just say don't let, just like we're not letting one, you know, bad pass from Baker Mayfield's day, uh, you know, ruin his performance. We shouldn't let one bad performance from Derek Carr ruin his season. Remember, Aaron Rodgers against the Buccaneers, like we've seen pretty much everybody other than Patrick Mahomes look human at least at one point that was Derek Carr in a big way in this matchup Matt Ryan didn't look very good either, though, people. I mean, 4.7 yards per attempt. We're not writing home about that game either. Uh, like Derek Carr, though, it doesn't tell the whole story. Ultimately, Matt Ryan, 185 yards, one interception. He had another touchdown that was dropped by Alameda Zacchaeus. And I think, uh, you know, looking at this situation, if Hula Jones is going to be out, we just kind of need to expect this a little bit, you know, lower ceiling from Matt Ryan in this passing game as a whole. This was now the fifth game that Julio was either completely out or played fewer than 50% of the offensive snaps in. And Matt Ryan has now only totaled three total passing touchdowns in those games. So, hey, Kyle Ridley, he can keep doing his thing. Six catches, 50 yards, and a score on nine targets in this one. And Hayden Hurst as well, even though he's playing through the pain, had eight targets, four catches, 48 yards. That's it, though. You know, Christian Blake, Zacchaeus, I just don't think we can quite trust these guys. And even Russell Gage, we haven't seen his role really change all that much with or without Julio, with or without Ridley. We've just seen the overall offensive firepower die down, which has impacted Russell Gage in a negative manner. 
Looking at these backfields uh, with the Falcons, Brian Hill, 47% snaps, 13 carries, zero targets. Ito Smith, 38%, 12 carries, four targets. Far more split than we were hoping for. And by the way, I mean those of us that fired up Brian Hill at 4K on DraftKings. Stupid, Ian, stupid. Uh, we'll learn from the, we'll watch the film and we will get better. As always on that one, Brian, I mean, look, neither running back was bad. Brian Hill has looked like their best running back really throughout the season. Just wasn't a great game for him. And they ended up finding the end zone, uh, you know, more through the air than they were uh, on the ground. So Ito did get one late. But, you know, that was just kind of in the fourth quarter when they were done with Brian Hill anyway by that point. If Gurley remains out, definitely going to need to uh, treat these guys more as RB3s instead of RB2. That Brian Hill was in this matchup, though. Josh Jacobs, 57% snaps, 7 carries, uh, 3 targets. And Devontae Booker, 38% snaps, 5 carries, 4 targets. This was very disappointing because last week, and I haven't checked the pass blocking snaps yet, but last week Jacobs was out there for 10 pass blocking snaps and Booker was only out there for 1. So I thought with Jalen Rashard sidelined, we see Josh Jacobs get, you know, an 80% roll potentially if things went south. Not really. And I think, you know, these, this is a little bit flooded because the Raiders were just, you know, at one point they pulled Derek Carr in the fourth quarter for Nathan Peterman and the backups, and that was when Devontae Burker was in the game. But either way, we did not see Jacobs, you know, dominate touches to the extent that we were hoping for. This was a floor game, and he's still going to be an RB1 moving forward. But again, this pass time work is the only thing keeping someone as talented as Jacobs away from that true top five range at the position injuries so Calvin Ridley suffered an ankle injury at one point appeared to tweak it but returned the very next play so it looks like he is good to go thank God love watching Calvin Ridley and that takes us right into our PFF Lillian matchup stat so this was Ridley's 14th career game with at least eight targets this was his second worst fantasy performance in those games yeah he scored freaking 17 fantasy points today his worst fantasy performance ever with at least eight targets 14 fantasy points he's averaging 23.2 in these instances absolute madness everybody literally Calvin Ridley with eight plus targets does not miss one of the best wide receivers in fantasy you know the proclamations the offseason uh, proclamations that you know 2020 Calvin Ridley would be 2019 Chris Goblin you know maybe not 100% accurate but pretty darn close Calvin Ridley has been a wide receiver one you know anytime he's been active this year continue to treat him as such moving forward four more matchups everybody uh, we got the Saints and Broncos next Saints Beat down the Broncos 31-3. This was a game that I was pretty excited to watch just because we were getting, you know, Kendall Hinton, the wide receiver off the practice squad, uh, you know, coming up, played college QB at Wake Forest for the Broncos. But it ended up being uh, kind of like what you would actually probably realistically think an offense would look like with Kendall Hinton. I mean, look, I had a start-sit question this morning about Hinton and just the kind of Broncos offense, and they asked my expectations, and I said nothing for Hinton, just like the rest of the Broncos offense. How could you expect anybody to do anything with a guy that has, you know, never really played a snap of, you know, highly competitive football as a quarterback ever. The Broncos wanted to sign like their offensive quality control coach to be a quarterback over Kendall Hinton. So, you know, hey, did I expect him to go one for nine for 13 yards with two picks and another two drop picks? No, I, I, that's, you know, was a little bit lower on the range of projected outcomes than I probably would have guessed. But man, this was brutal. And the fact they had hardly any time to prepare for it just made things that much worse. So Royce Freeman, you know, 50 rushing yards, Melvin Gordon, 31 just a disaster. Throw this game out for all Broncos evaluation and just realize that unfortunately, Philip Lindsay had a knee injury. So, you know, we'll see a quarterback in there next week that can hopefully at least move the offense. And if Lindsay stays sidelined, we can get behind Melvin Gordon a little bit. He's had a featured role whenever Lindsay has been out this season. But just realize if Kendall Hinton, if by some grace of God, Kendall Hinton ends up back under center, we are not touching anybody in this offense, including him. But assuming we get a real-life quarterback back next week, that's when we can go back to well with Noah Fant, Jerry Judy. Uh, with the same 
Saints. Taysom Hill, 9 of 16 for 78 yards, no touchdowns, one picks. That's an average of 4.9 yards per carry, ladies and mostly gentlemen. So just really brutal this from this passing game the entire way. They didn't even really try, and that's what's made the Saints offense frustrating. I mean, hey, you know, win is a win is a win, but the fact that it was, I mean, it wasn't really a game. It was a blowout. You know, Taysom Hill wasn't even in there for the better part of the fourth quarter. So they were able to clearly able to play, you know, winning football with them under center. But it was just like, you know, a Tim Tebow late 2000s Florida Gators, you know, game plan here where, you know, he's ending up with 10 carries, 44 yards. Latavius Murray had 19 carries, 124 yards and two touchdowns. And Alvin Kamara is the one kind of losing out with all this with only 11 carries for 54 yards. Alvin Kamara did catch a pass this week, albeit for, you know, minus two yards. So the fact that nobody other than Michael Thomas had more than a single catch in this game just shows you what this passing game is looking, looking like. So. Michael Thomas did have one nice 24-yard catch on a dart from Taysom, but just, you know, three sacks from him. It's a situation where he goes back to pass. If his first read isn't open, he's pretty much taken off the run, or he's going to, you know, kind of try to do something on the run once he breaks the pocket. So, I mean, there were more than a few instances where you saw Alvin Kamara open early in the play, and just Taysom's kind of indecisiveness didn't ultimately give him the ball. So, hey, they're playing winning football, but if you really think this is going to work against a better uh, defense down the way, or just against a team that isn't playing a freaking scout team wide receiver as a quarterback uh, you know I'd be willing to bet you that that will not be the case so hey again Great defense. Latavius Murray, you know, was really running all over them and everything. And Alvin Kamara will have better games uh, ahead. And from a, at least an efficiency standpoint, I don't know about the volume. But, hey, uh, just uh, Taysom Hill, keep firing up in fantasy land because Sean Payton just wants to feed him all the touchdowns inside the five-yard line. He got two more of them on the ground in this one. Just realize that, you know, the Saints team, while they are playing winning football, you know, just like it was with Teddy Bridgewater last year, make no mistake about it, they are 100 times better off with Drew Brees as their full-time quarterback. Uh, looking at these backfields real quick quick. We're just going to ignore the Broncos because this was such a mess. Uh, Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara split snaps at 48%. Uh, Latavius was in there a little bit more at the end grinding away. 19 carries. Kamara finished with just 11. The two targets were just horrendous. And that's going to take us right into our PFF Lily matchup stats. So what people need to realize about Alvin Kamara is that what makes him such a fancy football cheat code is the receiving floor. It's not that he's this better runner than just everybody else by far. He's an incredible runner. That touchdown he had against the Packers, I mean, maybe the best touchdown of the season other than my guy, A.J. Brown. But I just mean in terms of where he goes about picking up his fantasy production. We look at 2017. I looked at all the running backs from these years and grouped their fantasy production in rushing and receiving buckets. So in 2017, among all running backs, Kamara was the RB16 in rushing production and the RB1 in receiving production. In 2018, when he went absolutely bonkers, he was the RB5 in rushing and RB4 in receiving. In 2019, he was the RB22 in rushing, RB5 in receiving. And then in 2020, going into Sunday, he was the RB8 in rushing and the RB1 in receiving. Even with Taysom Hill under center, Alvin Kamara is going to give us RB1 production more weeks than not, but it's a massive difference between what he could be giving us with Taysom and what he could be giving us with Breeze, which was one of the best you know, fantasy seasons we had honestly ever been seeing from a running back. Going into Sunday, Alvin Kamara had 155.8 PPR points from receiving. Mike Davis was in second place at 91.5. That's a difference of over, that's 64.3 additional PPR points than the next closest running back in terms of receiving. For those not keeping count at home, Alvin Kamara has one catch for negative two receiving yards in two games with Taysom Hill under center. I would hope that we're going to see multiple catches in the game as early as next week. You know, fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood again. But either way, 
We are not getting that sort of usage, and that's concerning. Look, again, he's going to be, as I said, he's the RB8 in rushing production this year. It's not like he's going from RB1 to RB20 or anything like that, but it is the difference between, you know, having someone that was competing with 2019 McCaffrey for some averaging, you know, the most points the position had ever seen to someone that's going to be, you know, depending on the matchup potentially in the top eight versus in the top 12. So very disappointing. Uh, Kamara, we'll see him make, you know, more out of his touches. He looked good out there. I mean, 4.9 yards per carry was breaking tackles, looking as swaggy as ever. Uh, just unfortunate to see not only his goal line opportunities now being, you know, fully vultured by Taysom Hill because he's always out there on the field, but also him not get the targets that his skill set uh, deserves as well. 49ers beat the Rams 23-220. So this was a game where, you know, we saw the 49ers almost just get up and run away with it based on their defense alone because Jared Goff, two interceptions, two sacks, lost a fumble. Pretty just horrific game from Goff in general. And we saw them, you know, just not have to pick it up as much through the air because they really couldn't. I mean, Robert Woods had his 80 receiving yards on 12 targets, but other than that, nobody else was able to even clear 50. Cooper Cup was largely ghosting outside of a 33-yard catch, you know, Tyler Higby was trying to get, play through the pain, didn't really go all that well. And because of that, Joe Everett really wasn't utilized to the best of his abilities either. So the run game has been, you know, a source of pride for them throughout this year. They've wanted to be kind of run first offense really up until recent weeks. Cam Akers had a 61-yard run, which was great. Nobody else cl cleared uh, 20 yards. So the Akers play was awesome, and they kept feeding the ball afterwards, and he found his way to the end zone. But that was the only touchdown from this offense throughout the game because they actually got a pick six from uh, Nick Mullins on another time. And, yeah, it was just a disaster uh, throughout the way. Did they get a pick six? Oh, crap. Sorry, everybody. I'm letting it down a little bit. How'd they get there a touchdown? Might have just been field goals. Eh, you know. It is what it is. 23-20, 49ers. Just not quite the performance we were hoping for uh, from the Rams. Okay, they did get a pick six. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so Nick Mullins and this uh, 49ers offense, we had Debo Samuel back in action, back in action in a big way, caught 11 passes for 133 yards on 13 targets, and only a long of 33, and going in this game, you know, there was some concern like, hey, would Jalen Ramsey shadow Debo, uh, would he have enough targets, you know, with Jordan Reed there and all this, look, when Debo Samuel is healthy, we have seen Kyle Shanahan really for the last two years prioritize him, as long as George Kittle isn't there as the number one piece in this passing game, and that was even, you know, true to an extent when Emmanuel Sanders was still in the picture as well but you know the things he can do on pop passes and screens this guy is electric with the football in his hands and you're gonna love some of the pff lily stats i have him i have for him in just a minute but yeah nick mullins you know 252 yards had two you know had an interception took two sacks but overall, you know, he went out there, and like we've seen him do throughout the years, even if he isn't as consistent as Jimmy G, and he's not, you know, going to have the kind of same sort of floor that I think uh, Garoppolo usually brings to the table, we do almost see an enhanced ceiling at times because Mullen's a little bit more willing to throw downfield. Had a nice 29-yard dart to Richie James over the middle, and again, even if a lot of this offense is designed from the brilliant mind of Kyle Shanahan of uh, Mullen's, you can see why they keep him around and have thought as highly as they have over the years, even if he's not, you know, putting up huge numbers week in and week out. Uh, looking at these backfields, Raheem Moser was back. Didn't play an overwhelming amount of snaps, you know, 40%, 16 carries, two targets. We saw Jeff Wilson have 12 carries, 34% snaps himself. Both those guys lost a fumble, so that wasn't helping in their cause. But uh, Jarek McKinnon, only 26% snaps and three targets. So he took that true, you know, pass down back roll 
back in the action. I would expect Jeff Wilson, you know, with Raheem Mostert now being healthy for another game. We've seen the 49ers kind of ease guys back into it throughout the season. Though. You know, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, uh, even uh, I think uh, Debo Samuel himself, just guys that, you know, were injured, came back, smaller role. The second week is when you see them really leaned on. So Raheem Mostert, my God, is he fast. Like, that was the big note I just kept writing myself, uh, you know, as I was watching this game. Like, well, Raheem Mostert gets the ball, man. It's just 0 to 100 in a freaking hurry. So Raheem Mostert there is someone that, hey, I mean, 16 carries in this one and two receptions as well. We'll take 18 touches, you know, from Kyle Shanahan's lead running back any day of the week, and he did find the end zone once on the ground. But I just think, you know, moving forward here by the end of 2020, we can get a true blow-off uh, Raheem Moser performance. PFF Lily matchup stat for I'm um, sorry real quick before we get to there Rams backfield Malcolm Brown this is getting so frustrating with them 41% snaps three carries two targets Daryl Henderson was at 33% Cam Akers 26% Henderson and Akers are pretty much splitting the early down work at this point Brown's the one playing more snaps and getting the pass down work and if they ever get to a situation where they're you know stuck inside the five yard line as a timeout it's probably gonna be Malcolm Brown that gets the goal line attempt again there's not one guy like most back Backfields is not one assigned goal line guide, and we saw Cam Akers get that opportunity in this one. But this is anyone's idea of a three-headed backfield. It's not going anywhere. And despite Cam Akers playing well in recent weeks, we're going to see his true true shift and usage before we can fire him up as anything more than an RB three here in future weeks under our PFF Lily matchup stat. So over the past two seasons, and this stat almost pains me to put out as the uh, you know AJB wide receiver one truth that I am, but total force missed tackles among wide receivers as you know rushing, receiving, whatever, just touches and missed tackles. Debo Samuel, number one at 35 force missed tackles over the past two years. AJ Brown's number two at 31. Nobody else has more than 28. What's the wildest about this? So Debo Samuel and AJ Brown are the number one and two raw leaders in force missed tackles. They're also number one and two in force missed tackles per rush this gap's even wider because Debo 0.34 force missed tackles per rush AJ Brown's at 0.33 nobody else among 88 wide receivers with at least 50 touches has reached even 0.22 so not just AJ Brown that's been doing some freaky things out of that uh, 2019 wide receiver class great to have Debo Samuel back healthy because he truly is one of the league's more special talents with the ball in his hands Two more matchups to go over, everybody. We got the Chiefs taking down the Buccaneers, 27-24. This is a game that looked like it could be a route early, and it honestly really could have been if a couple more things had gone Patrick Mahomes' way. Namely, Miko Hardman letting a potential 89-yard touchdown go through his hands. Wasn't, you know, a perfect pass from Mahomes, but, you know, kind of similar to that bomb uh, earlier I was talking about with Darius Slayton. When it hits the receiver in both hands, you know, they're not actively falling down afterwards. I do think it's a situation where we, they should be expected to come down with it so look I mean Mahomes it's like a broken record how spectacular he is at this point 462 yards through the air three touchdowns pretty much like it was just a Tyree Kill show early on I mean oh my gosh was the Tyree Kill show with over 200 yards in the first quarter alone 13 catches on 15 targets 269 yards three touchdowns it took until like the third quarter seemingly for them to give him consistent uh, you know safety help over the top on Tyree Kill I mean they just could not stay in front of this dude and that's what led the 75 yard touchdown early and Holmes got back to him after and just was abusing Carlton Davis and man coverage all game long. But what got so scary from this offense was 
You saw after the second Tyreek Hill touchdown, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers started playing really far back, and then it was like two or three straight completions to Kelsey and Sammy Watkins, just ripping off, you know, 15, 20-yard chunks, and they weren't even able to, uh, you know, stop them, even once they started playing a deep pass uh, as well. So, you know, 27-24, it looks a little bit closer than it was, because just realized the Chiefs in the first quarter and everything was clicking, truly looked like some world beaters out there. Uh, quickly on to Travis Kelsey, like, he picks up these chunks of yards so much, and I want to try to find a good stat for that last week going into this game so since 2018 so over the past three seasons the most catches of 15 plus yards number one julio jones with 108 that makes sense number two travis kelsey at 96 more than deandre hopkins who's number three more than mike evans i mean travis kelsey is a tight end and he he really is a tight end he's not you know a mike jacecki type that is called, called a tight end but spending all their time playing receiver. Like, I, I'm taking nothing away from Travis Kelsey as a blocker and his ability to be a complete tight end and all that. Just realize his receiving production, while it is, you know, being called a tight end, it's every bit as a true number one wide receiver in this league. You know, he just happens to have Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill in his offense. So uh, Mahomes is basically able to have two uh, number one receivers on the same squad. But masterful performance from this passing game as a whole in this one. And we also saw that pre-snap motion again. Uh, with Patrick Mahomes near the goal line where he took a few steps to his left and then ran back across the formation so he could catch the snap on the run. They tried this little trick, you know, pitch play back to Kelsey who probably could have plowed ahead for a touchdown. He tried to throw it to Mahomes. It did not work out. So we've seen some funny instances from uh, Kelsey over the years. I remember another trick play against the Giants where he just chucked the ball like 50 yards downfield in the double coverage. It was an, an atrocious interception. So, you know, Travis Kelsey, I forget who said it on Twitter, but uh, I think someone made the point where, you know, if we could pick any any player in the, it might have been uh, my guy Davis uh, Maddock, but if you could pick any player in the league to be, you know, just a emergency quarterback, just like for the comical side of things, Travis Kelsey would be a pretty fun guy to pick to go under center. With these Buccaneers now, Tom Brady, 345 yards through the air, three touchdowns, pair of interceptions, also took a sack. Looked erratic throughout the afternoon, but I will say, you know, I thought Tony Romo brought up some good points. I know he gets a lot of crap, but I think we can all agree, out of the announcers, Tony Romo is the best, and, you know, hey, we should respect what he has to say a little bit. Guy was, you know, a high-level NFL quarterback for a long time. And the two points that he made that I thought stood out was, one, Brady, even though he had that, what, 17 or 18 straight incompletions, you know, on the deep balls, like, it's been more timing. It's not like I've seen people, you know, reference him just having a noodle arm like 2015 Peyton Manning. Brady has the arm strength. He just hasn't been clicking on him. Peyton Manning couldn't freaking get the ball where his mind was telling him to go at that point of his career. You still see Brady having these fantastic kind of completions uh, throughout the game. To uh, Romo's point, it's just that now really in this no-risk-it, no-biscuit offense, they're trying to make magic happen every single time. And he doesn't seem quite as used to, you know, not having some of these more uh, easier completions or having a run game game higher you know screen game to kind of go off of so clearly they're still you know trying to figure things out and I understand we've been saying they're trying to figure things out really for the past 13 weeks but you know just realize even though they haven't hit their sky high ceiling it's not like we haven't seen plenty of success out of this offense and that was even true in this game I mean beautiful deep diving catch by Chris Goblin for 44 yards he ended up with 97 yards on the day with eight catches Gronk went over 100 yards 106 Mike Evans had two touchdowns uh, 50 yards really Antonio Brown was the only guy disappointed with two catches for 11 yards so 
He was actually leading the team in overall targets since he came into town. That's going to obviously change a little bit after this one. I still think that all three of these wide receivers can be treated in that wide receiver two range more weeks than not, but I probably was being you know a little bit uh, too optimistic about AB's ability to seamlessly come into this offense. The targets were there, but clearly you know they're looking at the efficiency with it, and AB hasn't been getting the same sort of separation uh, you know that we kind of remembered from the past. So I'm sure he's going to you know improve a little bit after the buy and stuff. But I will say you know going into the week 14 matchup, following their week 13 buy, it's certainly fair to rank uh, you know Evans ahead of AB and even Goblin probably ahead of him at this point as well. Just realized post by as we said on the podcast last week, you know, this is a situation where I think the Buccaneers are going to bounce back in a major way. I keep an eye on those Super Bowl odds because even if they don't look like it right now, they get the Vikings, the Falcons, the Lions, and the Falcons going to the playoffs. Really good chance for them to start hot and go through an NFC NFC that, you know, I just look who the Saints, I mean the the Seahawks, I mean, okay. I'm not saying there aren't better teams than Buccaneers, but there isn't exactly a clear juggernaut like the Chiefs. And because of that, you know, hey, if they can make it through that NFC uh, schedule, if you're able to get a good, you know, good enough Super Bowl odds at plus 700 plus or something like that, now all of a sudden we're looking at a one-game situation where you can hedge if you feel like being a gardener for a day. Uh, quickly on these backfields, so with the Chiefs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 60% snaps, 11 carries. Le'Veon Bell, 32%, 5 carries. Le'Veon ended up, uh, you know, getting a little bit more of the work early, and he was a little more effective with it, but look it's still Clyde Edwards Alaire backfield we just saw all the touchdowns go to Tyree Kill in this one and you know only 27 points from the Chiefs usually rare to see don't have to go back very far in fact just last week the final last time Clyde had a multi-score game even if he's not you know living up those expectations that a lot of us set for him you know as a first round back joining this fantasy friendly offense still a guy that's going to be you know a top 15 top 16 range uh you know moving forward with the Buccaneers. So Ronald Jones was clearly the best back. He had an awesome uh, 37-yard touchdown catch where he uh, tiptoed on the sideline and hurled a guy and also converted nine carries for 66 yards. And yet, Leonard Fournette, 55% snaps. Rojo down there at 36%. And Fournette had three targets, two. Rojo's only two targets. We've all seen Rojo try to catch the ball. I'm not going to say he's you know a noticeably better receiver than Fournette, but we've seen Fournette try to catch the ball too. And even though he caught all three of his targets this one, I believe he dropped two in the same game uh, last week. So so if you don't have a legit, you know, LaShawn McCoy or Keyshawn Vaughn or someone you feel like really good about in the passing game, why not just go at Rojo full time at this point? He's clearly your best running back with the ball in his hand. And if you don't have anyone that's that much better that you feel good about being out there, you know, pretty much Leonard Fournette, I guess, then why not just feed Rojo? So we'll see. Maybe coming out of the bye, we'll get true Rojo RB1 season moving forward. Unfortunately, he's still going to be, you know, more of a boomer bust RB2 with this sort of usage. Injuries, I would just note that Mike Evans was limping around a little bit with an ankle, but that's been the case all year. Credit to him for playing through the pain. Our PFF really matchup stat, Patrick Mahomes is now officially playing the best football of his career, at least if you work for PFF like I do, and that's how we clarify this with our PFF passing grade 93.1 through 12 weeks that is the highest mark of his career better in 2019 better in 2019 uh, through 12 weeks Russell Wilson throws Monday night so I'm sure he'll beat this but only Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson have at least 30 big time throws so just you know one great performance after another from Mahomes all season long and you know the fact that he's just seemingly allergic to having these uh, you know below average games makes him that much more impressive 
Final matchup to go over, everybody. Packers defeated the Bears. I got a, ch- a 41 to 25. You know, I got up to do this podcast uh, with about eight minutes remaining in the fourth quarter because I wanted to try to be done before 1 a.m. I was really hoping I would check back on this and the Bears would have covered that nine-point spread, I bet. But unfortunately, I will just have to live with that one uh, tonight. Aaron Rodgers was absolutely sensational. 211 yards, four touchdowns through the air. I mean, I was joking on Twitter, like, why not just keep nine guys in the block and just tell Devontae Adams to go get open because you're, I'm sure that Aaron Rodgers and him could figure it out and put it on him at some point. It just seems so easy for them at uh, different times. They capped off the first drive of the game with a touchdown. They had a bomb towards the end that I saw that just he wasn't quite able to come up uh, with. But if Devontae Adams had caught that bomb, we're talking about a true br- a breakout game. So six catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. That's obviously a great game, but we just become spoiled. Uh, all, all the uh, Devontae Adams fantasy football managers out there. So Robert Tunyon caught a touchdown, nice 39 yards. It was like a corner post concept where they kind of faked the bootleg and he went right back the other way. Rodgers hit him in stride. That was pretty. And then Equinemius St. Brown had some nice action too uh, out there. So the only injury that happened was Alan, Lass- Alan Lazard. Looked like he got, uh, you know, knocked, not knocked out, but at least got his bell rung a little bit and, uh, you know, might be in the concussion protocol. Something to, keep a, something to keep in mind. He did score and he had six targets and, you know, someone that I was expecting to potentially provide upside wide receiver three value the rest of the way just because he has been this passing game's number two option, uh, you know, this season when he's been healthy enough to be out there. Not sure if that will be a given moving forward, unfortunately with the Bears. Mr. Trubisky did not play that bad, at least to start. Too many mistakes. I get it. He lost a fumble, two picks, three sacks. That's all unacceptable. I just mean, like, to start this game, it sucked for him because the Packers go right down score. Mitch drives them inside the 10-yard line. He hits Cole Komet, who almost fumbled it, but if he would have held on to it, he either would have scored it, but now at the one-yard line, he drops it. And then he throws on to Allen Robinson, and Mitch put this ball exactly where it needed to be. A-Rob went up. He makes his catch nine times out of 10. Unfortunately, this was the 10th time where he didn't come down with it, so that didn't go his way and then you know they're not able to get going on their next drive but then Mitch fumbles and has it go back for a score and you want to replay and not one but two Packers guys were just scraping his face mask and helmet with their with their uh, arms so you know again Mitch had some okay enough moments too many mistakes but we did at least see him you know pump up Allen Robinson's numbers because eight catches, 74 yards, and two scores on 13 targets. That's what we're looking for, everybody. And if you checked out the PFF, you know, live show that we do every Sunday morning, Allen Robinson was my start of the week because it's just a good reminder. We got to start our studs, and Allen Robinson is anyone's idea of a stud. You know, yeah, would we want a better quarterback under center? Of course, but we've been wanting a better quarterback under center ever since Allen Robinson was back, you know, catching passes from Christian Hackenberg and Matt McGloin at, Kent St- at uh, Penn State. Always been a problem, always been so that Allen Robinson has overcome continue to fire him up as you know if not if you don't want to put him in your top 12 like fine but if you want to put him in your top 15 well those are fighting words my brother uh, otherwise David Montgomery 11 carries 103 yards including a 57 yard run up the middle good to see him get a hole and make the most out of it you know I sent out a tweet last week that was showing him as a top five uh, person in the league in terms of just total force missed tackles. Unfortunately, you know, he usually hasn't had these big chunk plays in his arsenal. It was good to see him get one of those. And he got a late game touchdown, uh, five catches, 40 yards uh, through the air as well. So Montgomery, he is the definition of a volume-based RB2. With this sort of production, he probably actually got to RB1 territory in this one. You know, him and Allen Robinson, I understand it doesn't feel good when you fire him up, but just realize they have the volume to give, give us the sort of fantasy production that we are looking for. 
uh, with the snap rates. Yeah, David Montgomery, 84% dominating the usage. Aaron Jones, 59%. Jamal Williams, 41%. You know, disappointingly split as always. We did see them actually split carries. Uh, Aaron Jones had 17. Jamal had 17. And a score, actually. Just realized that Jamal's, you know, were almost all coming towards the end of the game. You know, no A.J. Dillon active still. So all the mop-up duty was going to Jamal Williams. Disappointing for Aaron Jones. He hasn't been finding the end zone uh, for a while now. And this, you know, like some people might say, was bound to happen because of his, you know, quote-unquote unsustainable touchdown rate. Just realize Aaron Jones, still the lead running back of one of the league's single best offenses in the Green Bay Packers. Better days will be ahead to come. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, bringing you updated new shows every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Really excited for what we have on the docket this week. You know, we'll be breaking down Monday Night Football on Tuesday. Wednesday, going to do some game-by-game breakdowns with my guy, Andrew Erickson. Thursday, having special guest Evan Silva on the podcast to go through some 10 questions I have for him. Friday, we'll be breaking down Thursday Night Football and going with some injuries into the weekend. So, thank you, as always. Check me out on Twitter, at iHeartitz, I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Don't forget the Z. Things get weird if you do forget it. And that will be it for me. So thank you as always. Take care, everybody. Until next time, I'm Ian Harditz. Take it easy.